Right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football games being played nearly every day. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, uh, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365, it's the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Cheers. This is the Red Agenda, and it's the week that Liverpool officially get their hands on the Premier League trophy. So how will the moment feel? James Pearce and Simon Hughes will give us their perspective on the trophy. Lift will reflect on some of the records set on what's been a remarkable season and try and understand why the tables have turned in recent matches. And we'll look at whether squad additions are part of the summer plan. I'm Steve Hothersall. This is the Red Agenda. Let's get to the guys. Uh, James, you OK? Hi, Steve. You OK? Yeah, we'll start with uh, Simon. And we'll talk about the, the emotions. They're going to be going around Anfield midweek. Pretty crazy for the team. Of course, Liverpool preparing to lift the Premier League trophy. Something not witnessed for 30 years. And for Liverpool fans worldwide, it's monumental, this, isn't it? Is this the ultimate moment for you, Simon? Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about it before, how obviously the, the strange circumstances of, of winning the title. And I guess uh, lifting a trophy when, when, it, when it's not in front of a full, full house at Anfield or a full house anywhere is going to be a bit odd. But I was thinking about this over the weekend and even when you sort of go to the matches sometimes and when, you, when you're at the finals, like when Liverpool won the Champions League last year, it was only when it really when I got home and I watched everything on TV and saw all the reactions, saw all the interviews and saw, you know, the, the, the sort of the close-ups of the players that you, you realise what great drama it is, you know, in front, of, in front of you. And so I'm quite, in some ways, sort of looking forward to, to that element of it, that, you know, that we'll be, in some ways, even though we're, we're a bit further away from, from what's happening, there's a disconnection in some ways we're a bit closer as well because everybody will be able to see the same thing at the same time. It's sort of a build-up of, of 30 years, which, as I said, I never expected it to happen in these circumstances. But to lift it in front of the cop, I mean, I've sort of re-evaluated, or sorry, inside the cop, I've re-evaluated my, um, my stance on that. And I think it, it's a good way of doing it because I've, I've seen quite a few trophy lists over the last few weeks, just, you know, the sort of the standard way other clubs always do it and you know it's, it's been a bit, a bit it's felt a little bit flat and hollow but I suppose you've got to try and do something a bit different to to make it feel special so the players getting in the cop and, and lifting it from that position is going to I think it should look pretty spectacular particularly if they're surrounded by all the banners and the way the way they've dressed the cop up over the last couple of months has been good so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it I mean it, it's sort of you know Three weeks feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? When they when they actually won the title, and obviously some of the games have been a bit disappointing since. But I think the players now are just itching to do it. You know, listening to their words, they they're just really keen to to get their hands on the trophy and and um, and celebrate again. What are the finer details of this trophy lift, James? And what what are your thoughts, emotions around it? Yeah, I, I can't wait for it to be honest, because I think it, it just feels like this will be the night when it it finally feels real, because it has been so strange the last kind of month or so and 
just, you know, the circumstances around the games and even the manner in which it was mathematically certain, you know, the fact that we were all sat there watching Chelsea play Manchester City and, and even being at Anfield for the game since when I couldn't help but look and look around and think, can you imagine this place and how, you know, would have been absolutely bouncing usually in the aftermath of, of what this team have achieved. So, yeah, I think this this has been the moment I've been looking forward to since it was it was certain and it, and it does promise to be some show i think that, you know the premier league and sky and liverpool have all got together to ensure that you know there is something really memorable and i, I like i like the idea that they've removed i think about 20 odd rows of the of seats in the middle of the cop and have built this this platform I, I know all the banners had to be kind of removed and and fireproofed and then put back down because there's going to be you know a lot of pyrotechnics on the on the night as well and you know lots of lovely little classy touches like the fact that Sir Kenny Dogleash is going to be part of the presentation party, handing over the medals. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, in, in the absence of supporters, I think the fact that, you know, they've they've made this decision to actually do it within the cop is a is a fantastic touch. And, I, and I, you know, the, and there's going to be some special images which, you know, are, are sent all around the world on Wednesday night. Trophy lifts are, are something of a TV spectacular now, aren't they, Simon? Even if you think back to the Champions League final in, in Madrid, that whole trophy lift scenario was set up for the TV cameras more than the fans inside that stadium. Yeah, well, I guess every fan's in the same position at this moment. Obviously, there'll only be a small number of people inside Anfield. So it's going to be interesting to see where, where sort of people plan to watch the game from because of you know Liverpool as a city is, is slowly reawakening after the lockdown and... Not all the pubs are open. Some are, you know. There's not many with big screens, so I wonder whether people are going to watch the game from home or, or you know, sort of spend it out in the open air and, and watch it from there. I mean, the, the one person who I sort of feel a little bit for is Jordan Henderson. You know, he, he obviously his uh, involvement in the Champions League final was central to sort of the theatre around the trophy lift last time. You know, obviously his relationship with his dad. You know, the, the, I guess the way you could just see the. The frustration, the release of frustration when he, when he lifted that trophy finally, you know, and he deserves more than anybody to be like sort of at the front of the queue when it comes to lifting and celebrating. But knowing him the way he is, I wonder whether he'll be a bit reluctant to go the whole way, you know, given that he won't be playing in the game. Be interested to see what what sort of gear he's wearing, whether whether he'll be in in his full kit and getting all sorts of criticism for doing that. I mean, knowing knowing Liverpool, they'll probably use it <laughs> use it as opportunity to market some more. You know, so possibly some different shirts or, or something like that to make it look like at least he's not wearing a full kit and copying John Terry. I mean, to have that thrown at him is, is I think, is going to be a bit harsh. But I can sort of understand it given all the the stick that other captains have taken when they've muscled in. But yeah, he he's been central to what Liverpool have done this season and certainly over the last ten years. Really, you know, he's he's you know uh, the the, the longest serving player. I think I think what I'm saying, and obviously you know was the first big summer signing of the FSG. Era. So for him to not like sort of be on the pitch when, when uh, in the game before they actually lift the, the trophy, it's, it's a bit harsh, I think. But there you go. I am I am looking forward to it as, as I said before, and as James said, I think it's it's going to be a strange experience. But I think they have probably got a duty to sort of try and make it a bit different to, to other other trophy lifts. Um, but the, the absence of the crowd, I, I agree with James. It, it just doesn't feel quite the same. But. You know, I've said this all along, but we are where we are, and there was a need to get football back for all sorts of different reasons. And uh, I don't think you can complain too much, given the way it's gone over the last few weeks. You know, I know Liverpool have, haven't played as well as people would have liked, but you know, they've, they've won the league, and that's all that matters, really. 
Si, you, you, of course, rightly mentioned a game that's being played before the trophy lift, and that's half the problem, isn't it? There's a, there's a game to see out with Chelsea first, and it's pretty hard to consider losing that before the big moment. James, I mean, it's inconceivable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it is in the context of the whole night. You want you, you want to go into that trophy lift on the back of a, a positive result, especially after what happened, you know, at the at the Emirates last week. You know, that was that was such a frustrating night, and and I think there is still something riding on it for Liverpool because you don't want to, you know, although that target of of not dropping a point at home all season, you know, went out the window with the stalemate with Burnley. You know, there's still a what is it? getting on for three and a half years now since Liverpool last lost a, a Premier League on, on home turf. So that's a, you know, another proud record to um, protect. And, and also, I think you, you do want to finish this season on, you know, with, with a couple of wins because, because there is just such a short turnaround going into next season. So, um, you know, I think there will be an edge to the game because I think the fact that the trophy presentations to follow, I think that adds an extra spring in Liverpool's step. And also, let's not forget, it's a huge game for... For Chelsea, I think what are they only a, a point clear of of Leicester and United? You know that, that battle for Champions League qualification is is going right down to the wire. So um, yeah, there's, there's there's still a fair bit on the line. Yeah, and the, and the manager Jurgen Klopp will have full focus on that game. We know it's going to be a poignant moment for the likes of Jordan Henderson to get his hands on the trophy, but let's look at Klopp himself because he's he's carried this weight of expectation in recent years, and the size of that burden is pretty hard to imagine. Si. Yeah, I mean, uh, when, I, when I think back to 2015 and the, the day that he was appointed, you know, I just remember him walking into the room at, at Anfield and we were we were in the centenary stand that the press conference was over there. I mean, I, I can't remember uh, too many occasions when that's happened. Obviously, the main stand was being rebuilt at the time, which explains why the decision was to take and to do it in one of the, the suites over the other side of the ground. And I just remember, obviously, it was it was a massive event. I mean, the, the whole of the world's media were there. You know, I've never seen so many people, members of the press, at a press conference. And as soon as he walked in, it was just like, oh, what he sort of fell a bit silent, really. It was like, wow, he's like actually here, you know. And um, at that point, it, it did, Liverpool seemed so far away from being anywhere near where, you know, the fans wanted them to be, you know, being quite a... A dramatic downturn in in fortunes from twenty fourteen, and you know, as far as I was concerned, that season was just just a bit of a write off, really, for one for Klopp to 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 sort of get his hands on the team and and sort of evaluate uh, the standard of the players. But you know, it became very clear very quickly, you know, that he had an impact on those players and and made a lot of people realise and sit up and realise that actually some of the players who he, we thought weren't really that good. We're, we're, we're going to be really good signings for Liverpool. Obviously, Firmino being one, and you know, it's it's taken a long time, I guess, for Liverpool to to get you know to to where they want to be ultimately. But I mean, it might seem like a long time, should I say? But it, in, in in real terms, you know, five years, it, it hasn't felt like a huge weight really, because year on year, Klopp's managed to improve the, the team, and you can see that that progression. And it's just been um, an incredible period for the club and. You know, he without him, I mean, I, I know there's been lots of articles written about sort of off the field of pool got their act together in this, that, and the other. But I, I do feel that without him being in place, none of that would have would have clicked really. I mean, he, he's been a, a great unifying figure. I think other managers in the past maybe have led to a le- certain level of division, but I think Klopp has managed to find a way to bring everybody together at the point where the club did feel like it was divided. So he will be enjoying himself on Wednesday night. I've got no doubt about mm. that. I mean, it, you saw uh, there was a few questions about how Liverpool react when 
when they actually, you know, actually were confirmed as champions. And, you know, you, you saw the emotion in Klopp's face then. I mean, he'll be absolutely bouncing, I'm sure. And as I said, without, without him, I just don't think any any of this is possible. So for me, he's, he's, he's just, um, he's done an incredible job and, and deserves all the accolades that, that's going to come his way. Maybe the pressure we don't see and one of his greatest responsibilities has been managing the expectations of the players and, and protecting the players from the weight of the burden, James. Yeah, and, and I think that ties in perfectly to the the kind of the psychology of his management and the way in which he just you know has this knack of, of bringing out the best in people. And, you know, you, you think of some of the messages that he's been very persistent with in public, which are the same ones that he talks to the players in in private about, you know, about how, you know, it's, I think one of his ones in his early days at Liverpool was, this is not pressure, it's opportunity. You know, that it was, it was about changing that mindset and about, you know, especially I think at home, you know, that feeling that when he walked in to Liverpool initially, I think he was quite underwhelmed in those opening months about, you know, what Anfield was like. I think it was like, you know, he'd heard all of these amazing stories and then you walk in and you think, ah, well, actually, you know, everyone's pretty down in the dumps. You know, there's a bit of a cloud over the place. I think over a period that we, we'd seen when things started to go against Liverpool in games, that the shoulders would hunch and the players would almost just accept their fate. So I think that was a that was a huge part of the job he had in his hands just to to alter that mindset. And I think back to even last season when you know when when Liverpool were competing with City for the title and. And I, and I thought he was quite clever then. You know, he talked then, didn't he, about how it was, this is our first chance to win it. It's not our last chance. You know, just, you know, I remember him looking around almost incredulous at just how nervous and how much anxiety there was in the in the stands at times because I think it probably opened his eyes to just how desperate everyone was to, to see Liverpool crown Premier League champions. And when you want something so, so badly, sometimes it, it can almost be have negative connotations because it, it can weigh you down. It can it can negatively influence your the, the way in which you respond in in tricky situations. And I think we saw that briefly, probably last January February time, um, when Liverpool had those draws, which ultimately proved pretty costly. But um, yeah, the mindset's been completely different. You know this this season. I think both in the squad and amongst the fans, I don't think anyone had any doubts because. You know, winning that Champions League final was was absolutely huge because that was that was the next step that this team needed to take, and you know they just they just never looked back from that day onwards. Really, he's had experience of winning leagues before, of course, with Borussia Dortmund, and he followed it up as well, didn't he, Si? And that that will be of some use for him going forward. Mm, I mean, I, I sort of disagree a little bit because he, you know, he's in unprecedented sort of territory at the moment at Liverpool in terms of his own career, where. Yeah, he won the he won the title with Dortmund and then won it again a couple of years later. But he always had to sort of um, had changes in, in in force on him because lots of other clubs wanted to sign his players. Now, obviously, clubs do want to sign Liverpool's players at the moment, but it's fair to say that not many of them will want to to go elsewhere because you know Liverpool are European champions still. I know they won't be in a, in a month or so's time, but you know they're, they're one of the best teams in the world. So. The challenge that he's got going forward is, is is to to know when to make those changes himself because he'll have to make them himself, not not have the decision taken away from him in many ways. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he deals with that because I know he's got such a a close bond with the players, and you know he, he does he, he loves working with the players. He, he you know that that is genuine. I know 
in this cynical world, people always try and find ways of, of, of undermining something that seems, you know, quite healthy. And, you know, sometimes when Klopp gets gets angry in front of the media and, you know, has a few arguments with, with Sky journalists and stuff like that, people say, yo, see, the real, the mask is being revealed, you know, the true face of Klopp is being revealed. And that's just the way he is, you know, he is quite an emotional fellow who sometimes, you know, will uh, will confront people. But that's the way he is in management as well. The players say that, you know, if you're not, not doing well or he's unhappy about something, he'll say it. So that's why that's why they get on with him because I think there's, in football, there's a lot of people who tell you what they, they want, you, you know, you want to hear when he, he, he sets it straight. So I, I am fascinated how this will work over the next, you know, the next couple of years, really, because the challenge won't be the same. It'll be different. Liverpool are going to be the team that everybody definitely wants to beat if they're not already. You know, there's a lot of other clubs that seemingly already making their moves in the transfer market and, you know, the other teams will improve. So the challenge becomes harder and the expectations on him will change. But, you know, you back him to do it. I think he, he relishes that challenge. That's one of the reasons why he decided to, you know, commit himself for the next few years, really, because, you know, he's, he's, in, a, he's in a job now which is different to where he's been before. The job changes. I think if the job just became the same all the time, he, he's the sort of fellow who might decide to test himself elsewhere. But... Yeah, it's an enormous challenge. The challenge of keeping Liverpool on the top is 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 arguably just as great as the one that, that you know that, that took that took them there. I think. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to replicate some of the records they've set. They took seventy nine points from their opening twenty seven matches before losing to Watford, which sounds crazy enough, doesn't it? At one point, they had a twenty five point lead at the top of the table. Went on to win the title with seven games to spare, earliest it's ever been done. They've set this remarkable series of records, James which are going to be so hard to get anywhere close. Yeah, oh, absolutely ridiculous. And that was why, you know, when it was consistency on a, on a level we'd never seen from a, a Liverpool team before, wasn't it? I think certainly in that kind of first four or five months of the season, you know, every week with, you know, all the reporters get sent the, the kind of the latest kind of stats that are relevant to that game from the club historian Jed Ray. And it, you know, on a weekly basis, it seemed like there was another four or five club records that were in in serious danger of uh, of being rewritten, and Premier League records, and yeah, just you know the successive wins at Anfield, the successive wins in general. I think, you know, at, at one point, I think what did they end up? Probably five short of the longest unbeaten run in English football history, which I think belongs to Arsenal. So it was, yeah, just an, an amazing achievement, and I th- and I think. But in football these days, it's it just seems to have become so short termism, and you know I've already seen you know pundits saying you know because Liverpool you know they 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 can't be regarded as one of the truly great Premier League teams because they <laughs> they weren't they weren't invincible or they didn't get a hundred points, and it is an absolute nonsense. I think uh, you know I know some airwaves and and some websites need things to to talk about, to try and be controversial, to try and generate listens and hits and all the rest of it. But, you know, let, let's not lose sight of what this Liverpool team did achieve to to put themselves in this position. And a couple of ropey results since they were crowned champions does absolutely nothing, in my mind, to kind of lessen the sense of achievement. Has there been much of that in your mind, side? this sort of playing down of Liverpool's achievements? Yeah, I put a tweet out last week. I mean, I, I'm loath to sort of determine the world's mood by what has been written on Twitter, but I think it does have influence on on people's mindset, you know, and it, I, I put a tweet out about, you know, like sort of, you speak to people on the street in Liverpool, you know, match-going fans, since they won the title, I, I genuinely haven't 
heard from anybody who said, oh, we've got to go and get that 100, you know, that, that, that set that points record. That has to be the next target. You know, it's the most important thing that we'll do between now and, you know, now and when next season starts. None of that conversation at all. Obviously, you see some some conversations on Twitter. Um, and obviously, as James says, you know, a few, few uh, written pieces about what it would mean. But, you know, if you ask the average person on the street, I just don't think anybody cares. I mean, the, the magnitude of of 30 years and getting that piece of unwanted history, you know, knocking that away was, was just, just so, so important. And that doesn't seem to get, you know, certainly not forgotten by people who, who've lived through that, that, that whole process. Maybe, perhaps maybe younger fans, maybe I'm being unkind, I don't know, maybe people who haven't lived through the whole thing might not feel that, 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 that sense of enormity. I'm not sure. I can't speak on behalf of people who've, who don't know, I suppose, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. Don't get me wrong; it would have been a bonus. I'm sure if if Liverpool had set that record, we would we'd have all written about it because naturally you would. But I, I just think people saw it as a bit of a bonus. It would have been nice to do, but you know, there's, there's no, you know, nobody's losing any sleep over the fact that they, they, you know, that they didn't get there. I mean, I I sort of watched the game last week against Arsenal, and I, I didn't think about the points record afterwards. I was just really frustrated by the level of performance <laughs> more more than anything else, and. You know, a little bit concerned, I guess, about how you know teams. I think now in empty stadiums, it certainly favours teams that want to sit back against Liverpool because there's no way that Arsenal would have been able to perform like that in front of a full Emirates or even when Liverpool went to Goodison. There's no way that Everton would have been able to be as defensive as they were if there was a crowd there. So that that is another challenge for Klopp that that he's going to have to overcome because you know they do they have had problems from time to time against teams that sit back and defend in large numbers and try and break it on the counter-attack. And Liverpool weren't able to do it the other night, but I'm sure I'm sure if um, if there was something riding on that game in terms of, you know, actually winning the title, uh, I'm sure they would have been there. I mean, again, I, I should just clarify, I mean, lots of Man City fans quite gleefully sending me screenshots of some comments made by Trent Alexander-Arnold about, you know, sort of getting to 100 points would have been great. As if it's a definitive way of how every single person in the country <laughs> feels. It's like, well, I'm sure, you know, when put on the spot, he would have said, well, yeah, of course we want to do it. But it's just, you know, ever in, in this very black and white world of social media, things are, there's not a great deal of room for context, is there? This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic with uh, Simon Hughes, James Pearce, myself, Steve Hother. So, of course, some great Premier League football at the moment. And we're offering that 30-day free trial to The Athletic for a limited period only. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod, uh, sign up, enjoy some of the best football writing anywhere. Some great articles from Si and from James as well. Uh, one out from James today on um, the diet that powered the champions. In fact, that was out last week. Loads of stuff about the trophy lift as well from the lads. So uh, try us out as the Premier League reaches its conclusion. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Uh, James, any, um, any word yet on a Premier League trophy parade, or is that something that is um, is very much being kept in the in the background as we talk about trophy lifts? Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be a fair while yet. You know, I think there was the the talk from the government last week, wasn't there? That um, you know, in terms of trying to get fans back into stadiums, they were looking at kind of early October. They even then, it's going to be have to be a degree of of, of social distancing. So I think you know, the, the reality is that trying to trying to organise a parade in the current climate and certainly in the next couple of months I think is going to be virtually impossible so um so yeah I mean Klopp has been absolutely adamant that there there will still be one um 
you know, it's just a case of how long we have to wait for um for it to become a reality but um, oh, where do you fit yeah, it in i know i know and it's you know and then suddenly you know as you get towards winter you know when you think of a trophy parade you think of the the sun shining and a million people on the streets of liverpool it wouldn't be quite the same would it in the in in the november december everyone freezing on the dock road as that wind whips in off the mersey <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's another one of those things isn't it that you know liverpool have been de- denied because you know i have you know and even on a personal level i was loving the idea of, of finally being there for for the parade because I missed it I was still in Madrid a year ago on the back of the Champions League triumph so um you know it, I think you probably could have timed those scenes by by two or three but yeah that's one that's, that's still very much on the on the back burner at the moment I think you know there's been a lot of work gone into trying to ensure again that that fans don't congregate outside the ground on Wednesday night because I think I think once there was the initial kind of bout of euphoria after the the title was mathematically secure I think it was you know the games in between were were never going to be an issue really I think it was always going to be this the trophy presentation night when you know you know the the temptation will obviously be for for fans to to gather to um to, to celebrate so I think the club are trying to get those messages out loud and clear um they certainly don't want to repeat of, uh, of what we saw down at the pier head a few weeks ago. Right, let's have a little look um, at the points that will still be on offer in the remaining couple of games and why perhaps um, Liverpool aren't playing to the same level that we've seen most of the season. I thought it was fascinating, Si, to hear from Graham Souness after the game against Arsenal. And he went on to talk about the season in 83, which was um, Bob Paisley's final season. He knew they, that all the squad knew that Bob was leaving at the end of the season. They had five games to go. And and Suey was saying on telly that they lost four of the last five. And on the fifth game, they got together and said, look, we've got to make a difference today. This is Bob's final game. And he said they sort of sluggishly uh, finished with a draw on the final game. And he said they couldn't explain it. And it, from that, you look at the, the team that we're watching now and you, and you do feel there are percentages missing, but it is understandable, isn't it? Well, you know, you think about the, the goals that they conceded against Arsenal. Um, I'm just not altogether that sure that happens, that they happen if, if there's something riding on that game, something important. Um, you know, Virgil van Dijk, I think he's probably had... One mistake since he since he's come maybe one or two mistakes this season, you know, I think Watford he could have probably done a bit better for some of the goals there and then the um in in, in Naples as well, possibly responsible for a mistake there. But you know, what happened at Arsenal was much worse and then, you know, the goalkeeper as well, you know, sort of obviously making a big big clanger. I mean it, that just said to me, Liverpool was so far ahead of Arsenal. I was watching Arsenal thinking, God, I couldn't remember at any point over the last fifteen, twenty years. Liverpool being as far behind Arsenal as, as as Arsenal seemed with Liverpool until they equalised in that game, you know, it was it was just two totally different teams. The strength of Liverpool was just so impressive, and then to to almost switch off and not um, you know, I think they were finding it too easy. I think they thought that they could go sort of unchallenged, and you know, quite quickly found themselves behind. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that happens if, if there's something rising on the game, and you know, as as you mentioned there, I mean. I know football changed dramatically, and there is a danger of sort of going back and, and looking looking at the way things were and saying, "Well, it's still exactly the same." But there's a famous story, isn't it, when Liverpool I think played Middlesbrough, um, might have been the second to last game of the season or the, the last game when the players went out and, and had quite a few to drink actually before the game, and 
somehow mm. managed to secure a courageous nil-nil draw in the circumstances. You know, I mean, I, I just think when when you've won the league, the edge does go. The, the edge does go. Anyone who's played football can would tell you that. I mean, I know you don't really want to talk about my my experiences of football, but I remember winning the league. Did you ever have games. an edge? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did win the league. We won the league with two game two games to go, and then we didn't win either of the last two games. We just I don't know. We just didn't feel the same way. You know, we think we'd only lost one one game all season and lost and drew the last two games. It's just I don't know. There's just something about it. You just don't you you don't. Which like team is this side? Uh, it was a team called Ampro Athletic in the uh, <laughs> he played in the in the Southport Come on, league. Steve, you must have heard of them. Yeah, yeah, mighty Ampro, yeah. Well, I can I can see the parallels with Liverpool and the yeah, and, yeah. and the psychological um, similarities yeah. that go between it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it's a bad comparison, but I, I just know like from experience, like that it it does sort of you do lose a little bit of something in in your performance, like everybody does. We just ended up mm. arguing for the last two games, like everything that has sort of gone before was forgotten. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not too I'm not too concerned by that. I, I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned by by that, but. I, I'm I'm a bit more concerned by, you know, the 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 strengthening of other clubs and and what Liverpool may or may not do in the transfer market. I mean, I know, sort of the conversation is very binary. You either you know, staunchly support Klopp or you you think that you know the club should be FSG should be doing a lot more. I mean, I, I just sort of think there might be opportunities there in the transfer market for Liverpool, given the way the market's gone. You know, I think potentially players might be a bit cheaper. To, to, to sign and if they are it would be frustrating if they missed out on some signings out of conservatism I think but um, yeah it's it, I, I just think of the opportunities there to sign somebody and you think well let's not you know I, I, I'd be frustrated by that so I, I just think the one thing you, if, if you want to you know the one thing that links to the past that is historically proven in football is that when you're at the top of the league you'd always try and reinforce from that position of strength and if you don't, you, you do risk sort of falling backwards. And um, it would be a shame if Liverpool were to miss out on, on that. Although I do sort of understand the circumstances around it because we are living in unprecedented times, which, believe it or not, do affect um, owners who have got billions of pounds. You know, it will, will affect them. When we recorded the podcast last week, James, the news on, on Manchester City's escape from a European ban had just come through. So we were just reacting then. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp gave a response that was quite direct and to the point. He said it's not a good day for football. Does indeed it make it tougher for Liverpool to maintain their position at the top? Do they, do they change their view on, as Simon was talking about then, potential players they're interested in or the way forward in terms of the market? I don't think I don't think Liverpool change their view or their strategy. I think um, I, ju- I just don't see that happening. You know the way that the club is run. I don't think you know. Some people said to me, you know, if, if this is the you know if this is the hammer blow for FFP that some people think it is. You know, will we suddenly see um, you know FSG throwing big sums of money at it this summer? No, realistically, because you know Liverpool is run as a business. You know, the, the reason why Liverpool got to where they are is that. They managed to massively enhance revenues, which then was, you know, has led to, you know, a big investment in the playing squad and a, and a massive escalation of the wage bill. And with those revenues having taken a, a massive hit, you know, I, I think that that will undoubtedly impact on on what Liverpool do this summer. I think, in terms of making life tougher, there's no question it does because, you know, when you think that it wasn't that long ago that the 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 talk was all about would City be able to hold on to the likes of 
De Bruyne and, and Sterling if if they were absent from the Champions League for either, you know, if it was reduced to a year or if it was upheld at two years. You know, now suddenly, you know, they've they've uh, they've had that ban completely overturned and there's all this talk about them going on a big spending spree. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm not, not surprisingly, I know Liverpool's owners were, you know, pretty dismayed and, and, and upset about the, you know, the um, the judgment in terms of, you know, they 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 th- certainly thought that this was the this was the time that FFP was finally kind of the rules were were properly being enforced and some and a proper punishment dished out. But, um, you know, that's that's not been the that's not been the case, obviously, with the uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport overturning that UEFA verdict. So, um yeah, it, it definitely makes things more difficult going forward, and I, and I think that was why Klopp spoke out like he did because there was a big difference between I was at Norwich back in what was it February when the initial ban, probably I think the initial ban had come through the day before, and Klopp was you know he, he, I think he picked his words pretty carefully that day and talked about you know how disappointed he was for Pep Guardiola and his players, and um, and then you know the tone was very different last week when he. Uh, described it as not a good day for football because I think he knows that you know the way that him and FSG have got Liverpool to this point was very much playing by those rules making those rules work and keeping to them and if if their rivals don't have to play by the same set of rules then then staying at the top you know is going to be very difficult right is, is there any danger of the club standing still Si if they if they don't make the additions I think that's what you were sort of stabbing at before isn't it we're hearing talk of a, of a possible deal for Tiago being close, well, various sources in Germany are saying that. What's your understanding there? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, Liverpool are sort of um, playing things pretty close to the chest at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, the the deal would have to stack up financially for it to happen. It does sort of go against a lot of the the sort of methods and beliefs that they've, they've sort of adopted up until this point. You know, the, Thiago's 29 years old, isn't he? So... I mean, people might think his best years are behind him potentially, but it just depends how the manager evaluates his um, his, his sort of current status in the, in the game. I mean, it, you could you could get two or three if you could get a player of Thiago's quality for two or three seasons, you know, a, you know, top level quality, you know, for thirty to thirty five million pounds. It's not the worst deal in the world. I mean, I know it sounds outrageous when you put it like that, but Liverpool are in a really good position to, to, to sort of go and attract these sorts of players now, I think. But, I mean, I think a lot of it sort of depends on, as well, I mean, it's it's quite interesting that, that, that Georgino Wijnaldum's contract still hasn't been resolved. I do wonder to what extent that is re- related to the, the supposed interest, because this has been ongoing for quite a long time now, and he... Um, you know, he, he's, he's a crucial player for, for Jürgen Klopp, so I, I do wonder whether Klopp see, thinks that it needs a, a player of experience in that position. I mean, let's not forget as well. Liverpool signed James Milner. I think when he was he twenty nine when they signed him. You know that that was not a uh, necessarily somebody an F, an FSG sort of move that you, you'd expect him to make. And he's proven to be, you know, a really good servant for Liverpool over the last five years. So you know, a crucial figure in in the way you know the team has has, has built and and behind the scenes as well. So you know, they, they should remember that as well. They should remember that they've signed players in the past who can make a bit of a difference and, and get you over the line. Um, you know, one of the, the big signings they made in the early days was Craig Bellamy. I know he only was there for the season under Dalglish, but he, he he was a big figure in that season. You know, pretty much got Liverpool to the final of the League Cup. Otherwise, they wouldn't have won anything at all that season. You know, the, one of the best performances I can remember at Anfield against Man City. So, 
You know, I, I understand when people say, well, it goes against what they believe, but there are examples of players that they have actually gone for when they, they think that there is still value in that player. To go on, to, to answer your question about whether I think that they should, I mean, I, I think if they can, that they, they, they should, if, 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 it, if it's possible for them to go and sign players. You know, they, they've got better revenues than ever. They've got, you know, just signed a big shirt deal with Nike. You know, I think Nike would have been hopeful that, that Liverpool would be signing, you know, a big, big sort of... I hate that term, but that marquee sort of player because that's obviously going to, in theory, you know, if you, if you sign a new player with a big name, you're going to shift a lot more shirts, and that's in Liverpool's interest as well. Let's not forget that the the nature of that deal means that that um the more sort of shirts that Liverpool sell, you know, it, it it's 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 not just a flat deal where you know they get paid on um you know just just no matter what what they do that it's 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 related to performance and shirt sales. So there's all these things that you've got to think about really and um, what drives what and what they actually need. So it's quite clear, just, just to finish up, you know, that on in, in midfield, you know, Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain, both of them have had a chance in, since lockdown. Both of them have been sort of in and out the team. You know, it's still one area of the team that Klopp, um, you know, he's clearly still still open-minded about who, who should take that sort of role as, as the attacking midfielder. And maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe Thiago might be that man, but I, I do sense that, that there's going to have to be some sort of compromise with wages because I think that lots of those sorts of conversations will be happening at the moment I think a lot of players sort of futures the, the big wages of the past and the big transfer fees certainly this summer for the next couple of years I can't imagine them being quite what they were before so expectations are going to have to align for, for transfers of any kind to happen I, I suspect and in terms of what they've already got and we've spoken in recent weeks about the progression of Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones one player we haven't really talked about too much is Ryan Brewster uh, nine goals and 18 appearances in that Swansea charge for the championship playoffs and another fantastic strike the other day James I don't know whether you saw it but left footed yeah. top corner um, he's one of those that whets the appetite yeah, absolutely brilliant to see. And I think, it, again, it underlines the, the benefit of the loan system because I don't think, realistically, he wasn't really going to feature in the, for Liverpool much in the second half of the season. And he, he's gone there. I think it helps the fact that, of course, he, the manager there, Steve Cooper, was his, was his manager. Um, you know, he's, he's played with him at England, England youth level. He, you know, obviously, Steve Cooper was an ex-Liverpool youth coach as well. So the, the links there are strong. And he's absolutely blossomed and... Yeah, I think I think Brewster probably gets forgotten a little bit in all the talk about you know of course Liverpool were seriously interested in Timo Werner as we've talked about many times previously, but you know when, I think when Klopp's attacking options for next season are discussed, you know I don't, I don't think Brewster gets a gets enough of a say in the conversation mm. really because um, you know he was so so highly rated before he got that um, you know terrible injury which you know it was I think he ended up having surgery on both his knee and his ankle and. You know, it effectively cost him a, a good year of his career, and so you know it has been a long road back. I think I think Liverpool probably expected him to feature a bit more than he than he did in the first half of the season. He wasn't quite up to speed because it, again, I think linked back to the to the injury. So you know, Liverpool have got a lot of big decisions to make over the coming weeks because what is going to be best for his development in terms of next season is he is it best to keep him around as a squad option? Can he really you know come in and really challenge with Roberto Firmino for a start in place? Can he impact games off the bench? Or would his development actually be best served by another loan to help him kick on again? And uh, and as Sai said with, you know, the the midfield and, you know, whether someone like Thiago becomes a, a realistic one financially, there's you know, that that's a juggling act for Michael Edwards and Klopp as well, because we know that money's thin on the ground. 
because revenues have taken such a big hit and it's it's going to be a case of prioritizing things i think um you know to me a backup left back is is the biggest necessity because um personally i don't i don't think we saw enough from yasser larucci when he did play in the domestic cups to think that he was up for it and then you know as we reported last week larucci has turned around and and said that he's not going to sign a new contract and his agent's looking to move him on so you know, again, that only increases the need to go and get back up to Robertson. We don't know what's going to happen with Day and Lovren. You know, we we know that there's interest, serious interest in him from Russia. You know, I think Liverpool will be looking for 10, 12 million quid for him. But if he goes, you know, I, I think they're going to need to bring in a, a centre half as well. Because I'm not convinced either Sepp van der Berg or, or Kajana Hoover are, are ready to be thrown into a, a Premier League game at centre half. So, there's there's a lot of things up in the air regarding this summer, and you know of, of course Wijnaldum's contract situation is another one of those. This is the Red Agenda podcast brought to you by The Athletic and sponsored by Harry's. Now, Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two guys who are tired of overpriced razors. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading brands. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close comfortable shave and as a listener you can start shaving with harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pound 95 just support the podcast get your set delivered to you it includes a razor handle five blade cartridge foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover head to harrys.com forward slash the red agenda that's harrys.com forward slash the red agenda Uh, let's have a look at some questions that have been sent in on the red agenda uh, inbox we'll start with this one you mentioned James Milner before Si and uh, Joel says not that I want this to happen but given Leeds promotion back to the Premier League which is fantastic I think we'd all agree we're, we're all delighted to see Leeds as a club in the Premier League any thoughts of the prospect of Milner wanting to rejoin Leeds in the future Mm. Well, he, he signed a new contract, didn't he, at Liverpool not so long ago? Um, so I'd be surprised if that were to happen. Um, I mean, I, I think there was some talk last year, potentially, this was sort of going back to 2018 19, you know, where he, I think he, he said publicly that he would like to go back to Leeds at some point. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I mean, it just depends how long he feels he's got left in his body. I mean, he hadn't he, Klopp said the other. Not so long ago that he he feels he could play until his late thirties, early you know forties, and I'd imagine he'd want to go back to Leeds when they were in a decent position to 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 you know compete on the field. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if it did happen at some point. Um, but would he would he want to leave Liverpool now? Just just when, you know, when they've um they've obviously won the Premier League title. But let's remember, not in the circumstances. I suppose that he would have envisaged it happen. I still think that some of the players would. Like to see if they can get a go and retain it and b experience the full hit of, you know, winning the league in front of a you know the madhouse of Anfield. It's not very often when you think about it as well. I mean, to win a competition potentially at Anfield, you know, and, and have that experience. It's not very often, you know, Liverpool have had had the. In fact, that's the one thing that has been missing from Liverpool's history in the last sort of thirty years. They've won everything else that there is to win, but it's always been at another ground in a foreign country or you know, elsewhere in Britain. These players have never, modern players have never experienced that sort of exhilaration. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if it were to happen this season, but because um, clearly Liverpool are going to, and Klopp's going to want to keep the, the, that team together. He's just signed themselves to a new long-term, longer-term contract. So, yeah, I, I can't see him moving on anytime soon because he's, 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 he's an important player the the dressing room and obviously still wants to play games. As long as Milner still feels like he's getting enough games for Liverpool, I, I, I'd imagine he'd want to stick around. 
Yeah, uh, let's go from there to the goalkeeping situation. Uh, Sudarshan says, are Liverpool content with Adrian or are they assessing their options, James? The last I heard, they're very content with Adrian. I don't see the need really to make a change there. I, you know, again, it goes back to what we said earlier about the, the short-termism that does seem to have seeped more and more into football. I think he got a lot of stick, didn't he, just before the lockdown with the mistakes he made against, I think it was Chelsea in the FA Cup and Atletico in the, the Champions League. But I think... You know, I think he's a very good number two goalkeeper. You know, the reason why Liverpool's progress was so seamless in the opening months of the season was because he slotted in so well in the absence of of Allison, who was I think he missed ten weeks uh, with that with that Achilles injury. Um, yeah, there was some talk a while back about Adrian potentially going back to to Real Betis, of course, you know, from from Seville. But no, when I checked out at the time, I was told that that Liverpool were very happy with him. They expected him to stick around. So. Unless Adrian pushes for that move, I'd be surprised if that changed. I know, obviously, Loris Karius is back around. We will be once um, pre-season starts, but I don't see a way back for Karius at Liverpool. I think Liverpool will be, if they can, they'll 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 look to sort out a move for him before pre-season starts. And um, I think it'll just be what's still to be decided. From what I was told, is who will be you know the number three goalkeeper because I think they're very keen for for Kelleher, the young Irish goalkeeper, to to go out and, and, and play regular football on loan. Um, of course, they've got Grabara coming back from his loan at at, um, at Huddersfield too. And, and obviously Andy Lonergan, who hasn't played um, during his season at Liverpool. He, you know, he, his contract is up, but there was some talk that that, that could be extended if, if they need him as a as a third keeper, if, if all the younger ones went out on loan. But so... Um, yeah, I just, you know, I just, again, from what we said earlier on about in a summer when when money's in short supply, I, I just don't see the sub goalkeeper being something that, that really needs to be, to be addressed, you know, unless, unless Adrian suddenly turns around and says, I want to go. A lot of questions to the inbox are about signings. We'll just finish with this one from Neil, who said, um, would Liverpool be possibly interested in any players from uh, relegation teams? He, he suggests David Brooks. But actually, th- there's a point here, isn't there? Andy Robertson, uh, Gini Wijnaldum, all, all coming from teams that actually were, were suffering at the time, Si. I think it doesn't matter which team, you know, they play for or necessarily what experiences they've had in the, in the season immediate to sign in the player you know it, 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 the big the big thing is are they good enough to play for Liverpool and I think that's what what Liverpool have done very well at over the last sort of three or four years so again I, I don't see a departure from from the, the sort of the transfer strategy they've had so I'm sure you know that they've been looking at players I mean I know they have looked at players like Todd Campwell and a few other players sort of who, who, who maybe have struggled a little bit the last season, but whether they'll actually go and sign that player is, is another matter. It just depends what the needs of the team. As, as James says, I mean, I, th- I think the left-back area is, is a sort of a bit of a soft spot at the moment and perhaps Andy Robertson could could do with a bit of competition in that area from somebody who's going to push him a bit further because I'm not sure that James Milner his days of playing there, you know, starting games might be able to fill in and you know for 20 minutes at the end of a game, but to actually start a game, I think you know it's a big ask really for somebody who's sort of the other side of 33, 34. So, um, I mean, the the one position that I mean we haven't really discussed the one position that I think that they do really need to look at is centre half. Um, I mean, I've had. If I, you know, if I, it would be the one position that I think that if he was to be able to go big on, I would, you know, just mainly because, you know, the three centre halves that they have accompanying Virgil Van Dijk have, 
have had their injury problems. You'd like to think that Joe Gomez could be the you know the long term solution there, but you know he's had a few injury problems over the last few years, and this season's probably been his clearest one. But he still did have you know an injury issue, and and obviously Joel Matip the same. Looks like Lovren might go. So it's one area, you know, particularly if, if you look at like sort of through the system at Liverpool. It's the one area they've got some talented players, but I don't think players who are ready to to step up and play, you know, lots of games mm. and at the highest level. So it's the, it's the one the one area where I think they, they should be looking at, but whether whether they are, I'm not quite sh- quite sure yet. Um, where where the land lies. Interesting thoughts. Let's finish uh, the red agenda this week on a piece that James has uh, written about Milan Jovanovic, who perhaps represents not the finest era of Liverpool Football Club. You, you met up with him, though, very impressed with the, with the man himself and his, his reflections on, on what happened, his own story, James. Yeah, do you know what? He was a really, really nice fella. Um, living, living the quiet life back home in Serbia these days, he was, he was halfway up a mountain, actually, when he, when he did the interview. Um, he was... It just occurred to me recently that, you know, obviously on the back of Liverpool winning the league, you you think about just how far the club's come. And, and I thought, you know, God, actually, 10 years ago this month that um, there was that picture. I think it, it tends to resurface on Liverpool Twitter accounts around Halloween with the uh, with the caption, <laughs> don't have nightmares. The um, With Hodgson holding up the Liverpool scarf with, I think either side of him was Joe Cole, Danny Wilson and, and Milan Jovanovic and... You know, and of course, that was also the summer Liverpool signed Paulson and Konchesky. And, you know, and, and you know, I've probably been as guilty of it as anyone over the years of, you know, you just say, oh, you know, absolute duds, you know, what, what, you know, absolute flops. What were they doing ever gracing a Liverpool shirt? But I just, I thought of it, well, hang on a minute. You know, it can't, for someone like Milan Jovanovic, I remember when Liverpool initially signed him, he was, he was signed by Rafa Benitez, you know, to, I think it was February, March time of Benitez's last season to join in the summer and he, he'd won player of the year in Belgium. He, you know, he, he then went and scored the winner against Germany in the world cup in South Africa. So he, you know, he, he was no mug yet, you know, things just never happened for him. And he, you know, he left, he left Liverpool without scoring a premier league goal. And it was, it was, I thought he was, he made for a fascinating interview in terms of just how difficult it was coming into Liverpool at that time, how dysfunctional it was. You had the protests, against the owners you had you know within within a, a couple of months patience completely in in running out for for Hodgson himself and of course and the fact I think as he touched upon himself he didn't have any credit in the bank with Hodgson because it was Benitez that had signed him and then obviously once Hodgson went and Kenny Dogleish came back you know he, he was effectively cast aside and um and even even little things like he talked about how you know there was no social side at Liverpool then at all it was you no know, no he never went out for lunch with any of his teammates he never went for a drink you know he it was just the training ground matches and then home you know it was and what a contrast to you know to what to what mm. Liverpool have, have have grown into now you know when you think that Milan Jovanovic was you know he scored his first Liverpool goal on the on the night that Liverpool got knocked out the league cup by Northampton Town you know he he played away at Blackpool when you know, Blackpool did, a, did the Premier League double over Liverpool. You know, he, he was in a Liverpool team that was with a manager in Hodgson who was openly talking about a relegation battle. So, um, yeah, I think... You know, and th- th- what I also liked from chatting to him is there was no hint of bitterness whatsoever. You know, it was, I, I should have done more. I didn't do myself justice when I was there. But he had a lot of success either side of, of playing for Liverpool. He, you know, he, he won titles in Belgium with... The age before he came, and he, with Anderlecht after he came, and um, these days he 
He's uh, he's training his three boys to become professional footballers. They're all on the wow. books at the Serbian club where he um, where he started his career and still all big big Liverpool fans. He says you know they, him and his boys always sit down to watch Klopp's team in action, and uh, his boys are very proud of the fact that their dad played in front of the cop. Now that full story on Milan Jovanovic on The Athletic right now alongside a whole host of other brilliant articles. Uh, my thanks as always to James and Simon and the Red Agenda will return in a week's time. Thank you.